Hello, I'm Darius McDermott from Fund Calibre, and this is the Investing on the Go podcast. Today, I am joined by Martin Flood, co-manager of the Lazard US Equity Concentrated Fund. Marty, um, good morning from uh, US and good afternoon here in London. How are you? Doing well, thank you very much. Things are functioning as best as possible. As you guys are well aware of what's going on in, uh, in, in the UK and, and we're dealing with similar things in New York, although it does seem to be getting better. Good. Well, you know, it's it's definitely eased off, um, certainly not gone away in the UK. And um, I'm aware that, that it, it is different on a state-by-state state basis in the US. So fingers crossed we can all get past this. Yes, of course. Yeah, well, I think we need, to, you know, obviously some type of vaccine or a better treatment to really open things up. But uh, it does appear to be the south part of the country is where we're getting hit more. And uh, a lot of this is in areas where you have a lot of uh, kind of college-age children that are, or not children, college-age people that are probably congregating more than they should. Uh, but in New York, things have definitely improved. And uh, as a business, we've managed for this pretty much seamlessly. So things are going fine. Excellent. Well, um, as you're a manager on a U.S. equity fund, I think we should talk about U.S. equities. So um, your fund is a concentrated fund, as it uh, says in the name, but you have around a third of the portfolio in technology stocks, but you're out of some of the big technology names that will be familiar to our listeners. So no Amazon, no Apple, Alphabet, or Microsoft. Uh, these are usual names that we see in some other large U.S. portfolios. Uh, why out of those names particularly, and you know, maybe where are you seeing opportunity within the technology sector? Yeah, so we, we run the fund as a as a public holding company structure, where we think of it uh, the fund as a as a business, and we think of each security as a subsidiary to that business. Uh, and the key to the diversification in a concentrated fund is not to let one overriding theme repeat itself, because if we get the theme wrong, then uh, our clients, most likely uh, the timing of their investment will be you know, poorly uh, managed. So within that context, we have a framework for screening and the screening of new ideas is based on you know, evaluation framework. And for names like Amazon, it feels like I've been saying it's been expensive forever, which is probably the case because for several years, Amazon didn't really make much money. Uh, it had tremendous growth, but the valuation um, it was ex- excessive relative to other opportunities. Uh, Apple, we did own at one point. Uh, we do have exposure in the ESIT fund to, to Apple. Well, it's a you know, fairly uh, index type uh, of a weight. So, um, you know, so that's held in the fund. We also own Skyworks, which is a, a business that is similar to Apple in that it, it, it addresses the same end market. Uh, Microsoft was owned at one point. Unfortunately, we, we did sell it based on our valuation framework and hit our price target, uh, and we exited the position. You know, hindsight uh, would have been uh, probably you know better to hold on to it since the stock has gone up quite a bit since that sale. And it's amazing just the contribution of, of a handful of technology names uh, are uh, what you know how they've contributed to the S and P. In fact, has dominated the market and, and not owning uh, overweight positions. Uh, and those stocks has been a, a, you know, a big headwind for managers that don't own them, uh, because yeah. that's really where the, uh, you know, that that's really where the S and P's got the majority of the return. And a handful of names are over a trillion dollars, and they contribute uh, a very large portion of the contribution to the S and P. We do own, uh, we do own Alphabet, and we've had 
we've had owned that in uh, for you know basically since the launch of the of the USIT fund, we've owned it, and we own it longer than that in, in other strategies, and we still like it, and uh, you know no change in the thesis, and um, we think there's still upside in the, in, in the position. And any other interesting technology names we may not have heard of this side of the pond? Well, Motorola Solutions is probably one that you're probably not as familiar with. Everyone thinks of Motorola back in the kind of the the razor days when you had that flip phone that was really cool to own, you know, the latest gadget at the time. Uh, you know, they, they're out of that business now, although they still own some of the patents. What they've uh, positioned themselves to be more as a public service company, and they provide the, the technology to municipalities to run their emergency service network. Uh, think of it as a walkie-talkie. At least that's how they would refer to it in the states, uh, and that's how police and firemen uh, communicate. And that's known as land mobile radio, and that's where they dominate it. So that's one that you're probably not as familiar with. We own analog devices. You know, analog devices is viewed as a technology business, but the end markets in many cases are industrial, uh, and as um, Industrial equipment becomes more advanced. You need analog chips to allow signals to be read effectively and converted into digital readout form. Think of it as an airplane engine that uh, you know, you're trying to get the speed of what the engine might be or the temperature. The analog chip is what is the go-between. And these give very long shelf lives in terms of visibility. Uh, so those are the types of technology we own. It's more maybe industrial and, and not, not the high growth type technology where the multiples in some cases could be 30, 40, 50 times earnings. Most of what we own in tech is, is reasonable uh, relative to its history and relative to the overall market. Well, then that leads me really nicely into my second question. So, um, you know, technology has been a very strong performing sector for several years, a very strong 2019. And obviously, well, a very strong sector to have owned through and through the COVID um, market wobbles, but then specifically in the bounce as some of the working from home that we're incorporating does favor some technology stocks. Um, but people are also talking about the potential for a second technology bubble. Clearly, maybe on some of the valuations, you think they are a little bit rich, but do you see the potential for a, a tech bubble mark too? Well, it does feel very much like the late 90s because of the dominance of, you know, one style, which is defined by growth. So I, I, I would argue that, you know, the market has probably gra gravitated towards growth because interest rates on a global scale are negative. So if that's the case, you might as well, you know, move into where there's any growth in the markets and technology definitely provides that uh, growth uh, outlook. And I don't see that changing. You know, bubbles could definitely be created. I'm sure there's stocks within technology that I would argue are overvalued. Uh, we maintain a valuation balance in the portfolio. So when we buy a technology investment, I would expect it to be relatively cheap to its history, to the, to their peers or to the market. Um, so that's kind of how we view overvalued part, uh, parts. We kind of, we try and avoid them. And, and yeah. for us, that actually does provide us some opportunity. Uh, I mean, this is not an index focused strategy. This is a differentiated uh, product where the active share as a, as a function of, you know, how we differentiate relative to the S and P we're like 95% different than the S and P 500. Um, so we could take advantage of where maybe there is uh, investor momentum and, and where they're all focused on and there's opportunities for us to, 
to, to find some great companies. And we, and we actually did quite a bit of that in the, uh, in the sell off. I believe it was the most new ideas that we put into the fund in several years. And we got out of names where there was any risk. If things really got ugly, you don't want to be upside down and have an impairment on your hands. So yeah. it was an opportunity to really swing the other way and buy some great quality businesses. And if you feel that like those types of businesses are not going to be around, well, then we got bigger problems. If you think Starbucks or McDonald's or Visa, um, these are the types of trades that we made. If, if, if you, if you had a strong view that those companies were going to be you know, impaired, then we got bigger problems than investing in equities. Yeah. I see McDonald's is actually in your top 10. Maybe obviously it's a very well-known, um, company to, to people on this side of the pond as well as it is in, in states. Yeah. Um, tell us about w- what it is you particularly like about McDonald's as a, an investment. Well, actually in, in the, in your side of the pond, McDonald's has really transformed themselves in their key non U S markets, um, through innovation, through the use embracing in technology, um, in, even how the menu uh, functions when you go through and you use a kiosk as opposed to telling someone what you want. And then through artificial intelligence, they've improved uh, um, the ordering trends and kind of almost guess what you want when you order one thing, more or less suggesting what the next thing you might want to order off the menu. Uh, That whole um, um, capital investment took place mostly outside of the U.S. And now that's pivoting to the U.S. And that began about a year ago. It's going to take a couple of years to, to finish, but in the stores that have implemented this new change, the comparable uh, store sales year over year have gone up quite a bit. Now, COVID is obviously having an impact on them, but I will tell you, it's amazing when you drive around the local streets, there's, it seems like there's a McDonald's in every neighborhood and um, the lines on drive through are, you know, down the block uh, in some yeah. cases. So a lot of this, uh, you know, it's, it, it's interesting to see when the stimulus checks that went out for people on unemployment. It, it, I mean, I don't know what the correlation is, but it seems like every time a check was was cashed, people used some of that money to go to quick service restaurants. Uh, so McDonald's has been in part of a multi-year transformation. I think coming out of this, they probably simplify um, menus. They probably don't. They probably get away from providing breakfast all day. Um, and they're speeding up the drive-through times is some of the trends that we're seeing right now by about 30 seconds, uh, which doesn't sound like much, but you know, if you multiply that by all day, it, it actually can turn over pretty quickly. So McDonald's, we think is a great franchise. Uh, they used to own a lot of their stores. Now, none of them pretty much are owned. It's all franchised out. So usually franchise models trade at higher multiples because you don't have the capital tied up. And they are, they're working with the franchises to kind of split the bill on, on doing this whole refab of all the individual stores. So that's kind of what we see. Uh, and valuation-wise, it was relatively cheap to the market where it's historically traded. Uh, there was some management turnover. Uh, that gave us the opportunity to, uh, to execute. And there was also some concerns about other quick service restaurants in the U.S., namely Wendy's. Um, competing directly at at the breakfast, which is a highly profitable part of their day. Uh, so that was the entry point at which we executed the trade. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about real estate. Uh, you, you're invested uh, portion in that. Tell us about the sort of real estate that you like and uh, and what, what's the attractive uh, credentials on that those areas at the moment. 
Yeah, so the, the, when we look at a, a REIT investment, we haven't owned many um, over the years. You have to go back over time. We might have owned about maybe in the 17 years I've been working on the strategy and then the five years that we've run the fund, we've only had a handful of real estate investments. And when we look at a real estate investment, we really want, want to understand the end market. And is it really just a planned real estate or is there something else? I mean, the market sometimes, uh, or the whoever determines this classifies business as REITs because of their, and, and then you just assume it's all tied to the same kind of theme. But when we make an investment, we're thinking it more of like, what's the end market that they're serving? And you could buy something that could be considered real estate, but it's really, it might be tied to a consumer trend or it could be tied to an industrial trend or technology. So Crown is is engaged in 5G. Uh, it's a reach structure. Uh, 5G is, I think, going to be you know groundbreaking in terms of how we communicate. And it's a very long trend. And, and when a, a cell carrier needs to rent on their towers, they tend to do this over very long contract lives that have predictable cash flows that you could kind of discount out for 15, 20, 25 years in some cases, we've built in escalations. So that's one. Uh, we own Prologis. Uh, Prologis, if you drive through the States, um, next time you're here, you know, on any major highway where, where, the, where the two big highways intersect is usually a, a, a big giant building that serves as a distribution point for anything e-commerce related. So we view Prologis more as an e-commerce play. Uh, and they own prime real estate all around the U.S. where these uh, intersections occur and, you know, kind of the prime uh, places as to if you had to move stuff, um, you know, from one place to the other uh, from a warehousing perspective. Um, so that's two. The third one we own is, is public storage. That's a fairly newer buy. We, we brought that in the, um, in the downturn that just occurred back in March and filled the position up. It's now one of our top uh, five or six positions in the fund and um, public storage is just capitalizing on the trend of people not having space to put their stuff, put their stuff away. Uh, I mean, Amer Americans don't uh, throw things uh, away. They like to just hold on to them and, and store them indefinitely and public storage, their, their competitive mode is even just in the name. They've been doing it longer than anybody. Uh, it's been run very efficiently by a similar uh, management team. And e even if you just Google, uh, you know, public storage or storage opportunities, typically that's going to be the one that pops up first on your search. So even the name itself is a competitive advantage. So those are the three we own. They're all capitalized on different trends. I wouldn't say it's a play on real estate, more on a play on that end market that drives the revenue. You said something interesting there about e-commerce. And I know, obviously, a big part of US GDP is the consumer, but yeah, it's been from quite a low base, the e-commerce. I mean, clearly, COVID and the lockdown that we're all having to experience has maybe changed some people's spending habits. Do you think that, that we're at the start of a real e-commerce boom in the States? Well, the growth the growth for e-commerce is huge, but this but the majority of sales are not. Um, so that's where the you know that's where the growth is going to come. I don't I don't see that reversing itself. I mean, no, we're going to have we we have way too much. I mean, compared to the UK, the numbers are sh shocking uh, about the difference of retail square foot per U.S. individual compared to what you might see in in, in London. 
it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it was all provided by cheap financing. So at some point this is going to get reset and, and a lot of this real estate is going to have to get repurposed and, and create some type of experience. So the way that I think the, you know, there's going to be a lot of bankruptcies coming out of this, you know, we don't own any of those retail concepts in our fund, but where you can find opportunities in, in retail is where you can offset the e-commerce effect and differentiate yourself. So the, the big trend in the U.S. is the kind of the dollar format store. And there's a handful of companies, whether it's Dollar Tree or Dollar General or, or some of them merged. But, you know, that is a kind of an anti-e-commerce play. So you can yeah. still invest in retail. You just have to provide a service and target a consumer that probably is not in the economic position to just order things at, you know, whenever they want at whatever price is offered, they want to go out and get a deal. So we've, we look at things like Ross stores in the U S we've looked at the dollar stores. We actually own one of them in the fund. And it, and you, what you don't want to be is in the other side of the e-commerce trade, whether it's Amazon or someone else where they decide to come in and usurp your business, you're out, you know, you, you basically get replaced very quickly. So yeah. I think it's going to be a major change and it's going to take a long, uh, many years to, to figure out, I mean, what we're seeing in retail land is the successful formats are ones that provide a better experience uh, at the high end. And, uh, and you know, you've seen this in various malls in, in London, uh, where if you know if you get that experience, you take a, 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 a big mall and you put a supermarket in it, and maybe some other things, better higher end restaurants versus just the normal crummy, uh, you know, fast food. Well, then the parents could come and they could take their kids shop and maybe there's even an option to drop them off and have them be watched. And then they could have an experience, whatever that might be. So that's ripe for change over time. Now, just lastly, I want to just talk on trade wars. There has definitely in this week alone been a ramping up of the tensions between the U S and China and fueled by the way China has um, interrupted Hong Kong. Uh, how, how do you see some of that playing out? And, you know, maybe there will be more manufacturing re- brought back into to the U.S. or, or potentially neighbouring countries like Mexico. H- give us some thoughts on that, if you if you would, please. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely political hot potato. Um, yeah, and Trump, you know, Trump is obviously someone that is pretty polarizing. I mean, clearly there were some imbalances on trade. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the Mexico-Canada dispute, but definitely um, with China and, and concerns about IP being corrupted and other issues. So maybe, yeah, some, certain things. I and mean, I think this benefits not just the U.S. I think it benefits many European economies as well because they do more trade with China than we do. I mean, Germany is very much tied to what goes on in China, whereas we're a little bit more immune to that. Uh, and most of our GDP is kind of homegrown. Um, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough call. I mean, um, with this whole political situation, we have a hundred plus, you know, call it 115 days or something before the election. Uh, so I don't know what Trump could really get done uh, or change between now and then. He's probably going to be more focused uh, on uh, on just getting his message across to get reelected. Um, but you know, lo- longer term, I think your point is 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 well taken in that some of that manufacturing capacity is going to have to come back. And even if you hear Joe Biden, some of his speeches recently have, 
it almost sounds like certain economic plans that he's discussed are similar to what Trump is saying. So, um, you know, make things more in the U.S. and have manufacturing capabilities here that we had that we exported to save a few dollars and make companies, uh, you know, have higher margins. On the on the medical side, I think that's definitely been proven that the fact that pretty much every drug that they wanted to administer um, was made not in this country. Maybe it was designed here and, you know, researched, but a lot of the manufacturing capabilities were offloaded to other markets. So that might be an area that you see more come back to the U.S. and probably more favorable countries uh, that align with U.S. interests as opposed to China, which is definitely setting themselves up to be more of an adversary. Marty, thank you very much for your time and your insights uh, across technology, real estate, uh, McDonald's, and some of the uh, trade tensions in a very important U.S. election year. If you would like to get more information on the Lazard U.S. Equity Concentrated Fund, please visit fundcaliber.com. And if you would like to subscribe to our podcast, the Investing on the Go podcast, please also subscribe at fundcaliber.com. Please note that these are unprecedented times and markets can react very quickly to news. The views expressed here are at the time of recording and could obviously change. Please remember, we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of listening.